Welcome everybody to Outcomes of Sun Radio. I'm here with my amazing co-host, Melissa Yamaguchi. I, myself, am Marielle Hemingway. And we're excited today to just have another conversation because we do love to talk. Oh, Melissa, we do love to talk. I want to talk about today, and it really concerns me, this whole kind of still, still we live in the land of weight loss craze, right? And there's always a weight loss thing out there that is, uh, you know, the the proverbial pill that's supposed to, you know, right. like undo all the problems that you've ever had with weight. And ultimately, you know, let's got, get right down to it. You, know, you still got to eat well, you still, you know, like we'll, we can talk about those things, but this weight loss craze, Lately, it's it's a thing called what's it called? Exempic. Well, I I don't know about the name, but I can tell you what it does. It is a semaglutide, and they all of these semaglutides, regardless of the company, were all designed for type two diabetes and obesity to address that. Because because what it does is it it uh, lowers the risk of cardiovascular issues like stroke and heart attack, but it most importantly, they're designed to manage blood sugar. Right. So that's, but there's, but along the way, people discovered they were losing weight. Right. Right. And that's a benefit for somebody who's really struggling with obesity. That's a problem. And, 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 and I would think that probably a better, a better choice than having gastric bypass surgery, which I think is very, very hard on the system. I know it's been successful for some people, but my gosh, that's tough, man. Yeah. And I, it's also, it's, you know, I've watched a couple of my friends, I won't name any kind of names, but. Especially she's on the show with you. (laughs) I haven't done it. Go ahead. (laughs) I'm a jerk. Go ahead. Yeah. (laughs) Shut up. I'll be smacking you upside the head in the internet waves. Bam. Anyway. Um, yeah, I've seen that it is, it makes a person, yes, they lose weight and they feel better about themselves if they've had a real weight issue. And, and the friend that had, that has taken it had a real weight a real serious weight issue it was a, you know, an obesity problem and that, you know, and that can be very detrimental. So I saw that it was very effective, but I also saw that it really was, it was harder in her system. Like yeah. I didn't, this was not a comfortable thing. Like, you know, she didn't have an appetite, but then she felt nauseous a lot of the time. And, yep. you know, it was kind of like being pregnant or something. I mean, like it was bizarre anyway. The good news is it was successful for her. She lost a lot of weight. Yay. You know, the end of her story was good, but there have been people even in the limelight who have done this. Yes. And it's not been so good. No. And, and it's a huge, it's a huge, already small and thin. Well, and, and that's the thing. I'm making a thing that's for obesity. Well, like it's, that's the big thing, Meryl. It's, it is a, it is the rage. And I put that in quotation marks amongst a lot of the bravo liberties on bravo so a lot of the housewives and a lot of the different shows these people who are already uh, smaller than the average american by by a a mile and so they they're taking these 
these this, these semaglutides medicines designed for obesity and type 2 diabetes and yeah they're losing 20 30 40 pounds if they had that to lose I, I just read recently that one of the ladies that was on a show said well i lost 20 pounds with it but now i'm going back in for another 20 more because she's digging the attention and the sensation of being smaller like when she was younger and and she's in her you know late 50s and she said menopause has been rough on me okay well here's the thing so let's talk about the, this uh, people looking to achieve drastic weight loss. What the, we're going to say some words that aren't necessarily fun to hear, but these medications can slow the bowels down to where you have a, a obstruction in the body, and they can also cause severe ongoing diarrhea so that the body is either completely slowed down or completely sped up. And so there's the body's trying its darndest to self-regulate, right? right? The other thing it can do is you it can you have excessive or putrid belching. I mean, you know, skinny and what? Skinny and volcanic? I don't understand. Then it's a, then you can suffer from sagging. Oh, absolutely awful. I mean, okay. don't I doesn't this sound lovely? Then oh, sagging oh. skin is another thing that can happen because what happens when you lose weight very drastically, especially in the face, it can cause the skin to sag. Um, it has it, 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 people who have pancreatitis, it can exacerbate that. It can create more of an issue. Yeah. But what we've discovered recently, and this is why it's so important that you and I are discussing this, not to make fun of people who have this in, incredible no, no, no. weight, but what we are discussing is this. There have been some cases most recently discussed where it has triggered suicidal thoughts. Yeah. Even though people have lost the weight, because you and I both know this. There was a show, I don't remember when it was on, I'm going to say the 80s, and it was I won't say the name of the show, but it was a show designed to take women who were unsatisfied with the way their bodies looked or their faces looked and completely morph them into a new person, new face, new hair, new body. I mean, from the from from what's it called from nose to tail. Right. So right. these women were completely made over, but nobody was working with them on the mental ramifications that took place when you don't recognize the person in the mirror. Right. So what the thing about drastic weight loss is it's not just about going from a size 14 to a size four. It's about shifting your eating habits, your thinking habits, your yes. mental habits, your emotional, physical, spiritual, every it's a, we are multidimensional human beings and we have to address all of it at once. Well, and also you, you have to address the reason why you become obsessed with that. And this is coming from a person who I had an eating disorder. When I was young, I was obsessed with food. I was obsessed with being small. And I had to look at the story that I was telling myself why I was doing that, mm -hmm. right? I really had to dig into my own self. Like now it's just a story and it doesn't bother me. But at the time I was terrified that I might end up like one of my sisters because when they gained weight, that was when they were having some sort of mental health issue. Yeah. And they'd gone on medication and the medication would cause weight gain and all that stuff. So I had this tremendous fear around weight gain, meaning you were not mentally stable. So I just, I thought if I can control my body, if I can control my food, I can control the world. Right. And yeah. that was, that was my story. That was the journey that I had to take, but I had to figure out what that was. Yeah. So that, you know, 
being small, being, and you know, those Bravo celebrities or whatever they're called, the reason why they're obsessed, who knows what it is, who knows what their story is, but oftentimes that kind of obsessive need to stay a certain kind of way, to look a certain kind of way is based on trauma. It's based on some story, some and I say story, meaning something that's happened in your past yeah. that you haven't really come to grips with. Right. Um, not always. Well, I think we, I think we, don't we, we oftentimes associate being smaller, younger, prettier with being relevant and acceptable and worthy yes. and worthy, and, and right? I mean, it, it's very hard. I mean, we, you and I are, you know, like you're going to be 60. I'm in my 60s. Hello. And it becomes, Actually, it's a lot easier now because, you know, in your situation, it's like, no, you don't feel yourself in this arena of like competitive women going That's after. different. Like totally that. different. I, I have a wonderful relationship. I feel very good about my body and my, and all of that. But it took me a long time to get to this place where it's okay to be where I am, who I am at the time yeah. that I'm being this way. But that is a journey. And, it, and it's so sad to me that as women, we have put, we have placed on ourselves this sort of unrealistic thing. Yeah. And we talk about this a lot, this idea that, you know, like being healthy should be the number one concern, Come which on. means that Every body is different. Body, not everybody. Every body is yes. different. Yes. And so my being healthy is going to look different than yours, going to look different than Bobby's, going to look different than my daughter's, and going to look different than somebody who's 5'2 yeah. and, and really muscular, but like an amazing, beautiful human being, right? Yeah. But yeah. we... Why do we not val- why do we value one body type as opposed to valuing all the different ones that are out there? Because you're well, you're five, two, five three, whatever. I, I don't know. I blame Barbie. I blame Barbie, but we love her. I think that's well, Barbie's a Barbie's a strong gal, but I mean, and she's a career woman. But it's uh, this body type that we just now, we gotta now, look like but how, but how she was when we were growing up was not that right yeah, she, barbie wasn't a career woman she just had a pink corvette no she had a pink corvette and she was living she was living the life that our mothers that's right oh you know, projected that's right that we would grow to live into i'm not your mother but my mother was kind of more that kind of woman right your mother was like she was out there like my mother had an afro i don't want to talk about it let's go forward my so, mother was a child of the late 60s and early 70s herself running a cultural revolution yes yeah exactly which is amazing in itself but there there are those there are those role models that are starting to disintegrate but i think in the disintegration we're we're still holding on to something in a visual capacity anyway we got to move on because we've got to. But well, we also need to encourage people who get this stuff to to seek counseling so that they are well, grounded see, in their in their quest and to understand that there are repercussions, there will be side effects and that it, you know, for me, it's like, how natural is this? And if you're healthy and you just need to lose a few pounds, there's a lot better way to go. Oh yeah. In my opinion. Oh yeah. And that's my opinion, not as a doctor, but I, and I get, and I get the desire because I, I was there. I was in that place of 
thinking? And also, are you really seeing yourself or are you seeing an image of something that you think you are, right? I know. That's the other thing. Like if I lost like 40, 50 pounds, I think I'd be staring at the, in the mirror, like blink, 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 blink. I wouldn't know <laughs> what the hell was going on. Right. Oh my gosh. Stay where you are, everybody. You're listening to Outcomes of Sun Radio with Melissa Yamaguchi and Mariel Hemingway, myself. As a mental health advocate and author, I love books. Books have the capacity to inspire, educate, transform, and ultimately help readers all over the world. So if you want to publish your book or if you need help writing your story, I highly recommend Mindstir Media, rated the number one best book publisher around the country. Mindstir Media can help you no matter where you are in the book writing or publishing process. Go to mindstermedia.com to learn more and schedule a consultation. Welcome back to Outcomes of Sun Radio. You are here with Melissa Yamaguchi and myself, Marielle Hemingway. And so you brought up such an incredible book that we've both been kind of intrigued by and certainly intrigued by the message of this book. I'd love for you to go into detail about, about the book, because, you know, books are important. Well, you need- I had, I had the good fortune to be introduced to the author and I had lunch with her one day. So I do want to highlight her. Her name is Judith Turner Yamamoto. And she wrote this book called loving the dead and gone. It's a great title. Yeah, um, and when it's, it's just beautifully written. And the, the premise of the whole book is understanding the generational trauma that takes place when there's death in a family and how it affects the people that are left, how they move forward in their lives, how they treat other people in their lives, whether it's friends or lovers or their own children or anyone left behind. So I want to read to you. There's an opening line in here, Mariel. The minute I read it, I recognize this person, and I think you might too. (laughs) Berta May never looks at what she has just at what she thinks she ought to have. And that's a big part of what makes her so miserable. Okay, so the minute I read that, I thought, wow, that that is a a large portion of the problems that people have when they're suffering anxiety. You look at what you ought to have instead of what you do have. I believe that I should have this job, be married to this person, have this in my life, have my kids be doing this. And when you don't have it, you have this anxiety over how life is moving forward for you. it's yeah. it, the the premise of this book is there's a young gal whose husband dies and she's 17 only a year into their marriage they're in the south and he dies and she really can't move on and everyone in her life is telling her you need to get over it he's gone he ain't coming back well the way she treats everyone in her life after that is almost as though they're disposable and she she can't she struggles with it all she takes up a lover and he realizes that he's only having a relationship with her because he's his relationship with his wife is dead and so it's really he's like well i i'm with my wife because the bible says you're supposed to stay married and people say you're supposed to stay married and the kids don't deserve me to leave so he's he stays in this marriage so there's something he's here that i want you to um one of the ladies was crying because she she has a hard time getting past the death and she's speaking to someone and he comes into the room um she said you know i never got a good look at him at the until the funeral home and by then they'd worked all the pain out of his face 
you know how they do things making people look like dolls so she couldn't reconcile the death of her loved one because she said they had worked all the pain out of his face from the death well the conversation left this visitor clayton to come see her so incredibly uncomfortable he he almost fell out of over himself to get out of the room because it was he was so uncomfortable we're right. so uncomfortable in discussing death Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, as Western society, we are not accustomed to what death, you know, like the Eastern culture is really all about, is really all about accepting death yes. and, and realizing that you're always, everybody's always dying as, as we're living, you know, but, and the idea of really, do we die? I mean, that's a whole really philosophical, spiritual conversation. Mm -hmm whether you believe in life after death, but it is, it's very challenging in the culture we live in to accept death, especially in, you know, what we were talking about in the, in the sunset portion or the sunrise portion of the show is the idea that we don't ex accept death because we don't even accept where we are in the moment. Right. We can't accept our physical beings, you know, that the way that they were given to us by, god or whatever whatever you think brought you to the planet so it it really is an interesting inability to accept the shift of of death i mean bobby talks about death and he really is so he's so he's so fired up when he talks about death and dying when dying is painful because he really believes that if people knew more about their bodies and their minds and how to care for them there would be less pain and that's you know that's another conversation but it there is something to be said for understanding how to live your life so that right. the journey towards whatever you want to call it the end of life is yes. a good journey not a journey of pain not a journey of falling apart destruction i don't know it's it's curious well, and we don't we don't give people um if we don't allow people the permission to work through the understanding of death in their life and as, as it comes with people around them their parents their siblings their friends no matter the ages if we don't give them permission to work through it then they stay stuck and they they silently suffer and that's and so then how much yeah. living how much are they living right if well and that's the thing that's a, that's a trauma that doesn't get resolved grief is a very important part of yeah. moving forward in life I, you know i've lost many family members over the years and it wasn't until i learned how to grieve you actually have to know how to grieve it's very difficult yeah. but when you do it and you allow it to happen but it's not the same for everybody it's just yeah. like everything else everything yeah is very individual we're so unique i remember you know my mother died when i was 29 uh no 28 and i 27 sorry i'm sorry, sorry about that yes i was 27 i get i had a my oldest daughter was only eight months old and my mother had had cancer most of my childhood so my mother in the family was always dying she was yeah. always dying 
for years, for tw over 20 years, there was this all, all, oh, you know, like, oh dear, she's gone, you know, she's in the hospital, it's very dire, whatever. She was always dying. So when she actually died, it was such a bizarre time for me because I was, I loved my mother so much and I was so there for her. I really was like, I was a primary caregiver before I really knew what I was doing, but I thought that I was caring for her, you know, as a kid, as a yeah. little girl. And then when she died and I was 27 years old, it it was almost as though I didn't know how to react because I was so thinking that she was going to die for so many years. And it, it was interesting. I watched a movie uh, years after that, after she had died. I, I'm not saying I didn't cry and I didn't feel sad. I did, but it wasn't as huge as I thought it would be because yeah. of my love for her being so great, right? Yeah. But then I watched this movie and it was a movie with Diane Keaton, um, The Family Stone. Do you know that? movie the family stone it's like a christmas it's a christmas movie and they all come back and diane keaton's dying of cancer but she doesn't let anybody know and for some reason she just i just thought of her and my mother and i it was years later i burst into tears and i cried for hours i was just heaving and it was this grief that had stayed somewhere inside me <laughs> excuse me, and, you know, released years later. So grief is a very interesting thing, but it's a very important thing. But there's no way of knowing how to do it properly, but you do right. have to do it. Like, it's bizarre. It's a bizarre it is. thing. It's a very hard thing. And then when you're left behind, how do you think about the dead? That's right. The, one, the people that have left you. You know, sometimes you're angry at first. Sometimes you're hurt. Sometimes you're, I mean, there's so many emotions that go along along with it that are, are challenging. And a lot you of know? people make heroes out of the people that have gone when they didn't treat them as such when they were alive. I have, a, I know a lot of people who have said, well, my grandfather did this, 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 and this. And I think, I knew your grandfather, he wasn't that great, but I'm not gonna tell them, I'm, I, I may think it, but I don't say it. And I'm, I witness, I witness this need to create this hero of somebody who was ordinary and lovely, but because they, and that there's, there's something there too about- um, 100%, I, yeah, I have a personal thing about that and I can't really go into it, but there are people in my life that have, that have you know made a god of somebody that passed in their life and it's it's bizarre you know what i mean it, yeah it's it is it's bizarre it's and maybe it's the only way that they can process the information i don't really know it's I very either. interesting though and i've it's witnessed it a lot too it, it's almost like a it enables them to see what is good and maybe that's a good thing i don't yeah. know i don't really know yeah i get it i mean i i, you know? I don't get it but i i hear yeah. you yeah. so yeah. Ah. one of the one of the last things that i want to i'd like to point out about this book written by judith turner yamamoto is at tour she 
someone who had suffered a death, this young gal, began to have an affair. And the man with whom she had an affair was married and had children. Um, and he, the girl, the young gal leaves at one point and he, he realizes he probably is not going to see her again. And I just want if I if I may read this little excerpt, I thought it was so beautiful. He said he realizes that this young gal, this young widow, widower has left and she's not going to be back in his life. And so he drives back home and he's to the home he that he lives with with Berta May, the one who's never who's always miserable. And he says, I crank down the window, the keen smell of onion grass mixed with the green scent of fresh cut grass. Berta May had left the sprinkler on the flowers that Imogene, his daughter, was trying to grow. The summer tang of water evaporating filled the hot air. How long had it been since I'd been calm enough to draw breath deep and really smell? How long until I had lived? So loving the dead and gone is not only about us coming to terms with they're gone and we either create them as heroes or we don't talk about them or we try to get over it because it makes other people unhappy. This guy didn't know how to reconcile and he saw this aching, sobbing widow that everyone was ignoring. They had this affair. She ran away to not because she couldn't deal with the fan, with the community anymore. He's at home sitting in his truck in the driveway, realizing that through it all, he had not been living either. So this, this is how we, uh, many of us, it takes some extrapolation of our life, whether it's the loss of a job, a loss of a, of a beloved pet, the loss of a loved one, the, a divorce, a loss of a marriage, loss of something. It seems as though we are designed, unfortunately, in a way that some of us don't realize we're not living until we've lost something. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And I think it also makes you question how much of your life have you just been doing by habit, right? Yeah. Get up, you do the same thing, yeah. you, get, you know, you wash your face, you go, you know, or you take a shower and then you have your coffee and then uh, you go to work and then, uh, and then it repeats and, you know, rinse and repeat. Yeah, rinse, rinse and repeat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because how much of your life is defined by that lost relationship? It's, it's interesting. And, and how much of your life have you missed because you didn't pay attention to maybe that relationship yeah, choices you make, much, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. The choices you make, the way you raise your children, the way you relate to the people still living in your life. It, it's fascinating. Yeah. And this, this relationship didn't affect this man directly. The, the loss of this young boy and then, and the community was a sh shock for everybody, but he then allowed his relationship to die. So there was a, another death, right? So it's right. like, how, how long have I not been alive? I, I find it all fascinating. And you know, in, in my husband was born and raised in Tokyo, um, an American citizen, but born and raised in Tokyo on a, on a military base. And his parents, his grandparents, Japanese. And a lot of the way that the handling of the, the energy from, from, the the dying or the, the departed in Japan has affected the way my husband sees sees it and it's also interestingly enough a lot of what they do in feng shui with it quite candidly and it's really about if you don't have if, if my husband's grandparents were cremated and so they're in the cemetery and every week someone from the family goes there and sweeps 
and puts in fresh flowers and says prayers and lights the incense and it's a very ritualistic thing uh, billy and i went back and he had not been back since his grandfather died and billy was very very close to his grandfather his beloved grandfather kenzo and so we went back to see where kimmy his grandmother and kenzo his grandfather i love those names kimmy and kenzo where they were buried and we were cleaning it and his auntie billy's auntie was with us and as he's placing uh i'm placing the flowers in putting in clean water billy's sweeping and cleaning and he's he's doing the incense and saying his prayers and there are some sticks with the family's name and a little teeny small urn on the side there's a headstone similar but there's some sticks and a lot of it the sticks have prayers on them they're kind of like bamboo sticks if you will like long chopsticks that's the only way i know how yeah. to describe it and as we're sitting there and billy's saying his prayers and i'm standing behind him not because i'm the dutiful wife but because it's his grandparents and i'm yeah. slightly behind him and he's saying his prayers there's no wind there's no wind and the sticks begin to shake out of nowhere the sticks begin to move and billy finishes his prayers and his auntie says they were here they came to thank you for coming so there was no fear there was none of this and then she, when we got back to the house she was telling her daughters oh grandma and grandpa came to see billy they're so pleased that he came to see them there's so this whole approach of they're just they're not here in front of you but they're somewhere and they're not so far away. And a lot of people yes. believe this with their beliefs of heaven or whatever, but the, there's not this fear. There is a loss like, oh, I miss you. I miss being able to see your yeah. face and hug you and hear your voice very clearly the way I'm accustomed to hearing it. Yeah. You and I speak every day. I am so used to hearing your voice that on days when I don't hear it, I'm like, have I lost my keys? Is something missing? Something's <laughs> not right. Oh, I haven't talked to Mary. Right. It's the same right. thing with my relationship with my mom, with my daughter, my son, my husband. There's some voices that I have become so comfortable and accustomed it's to hearing. that not yes. hearing it throws me off balance a little bit. So yeah. the, it, you know, in feng shui, it's that there's this whole approach to how you handle the departed. And yeah. it's not by it's not by by idolizing that energy that's passed because there's a thought of in feng shui that if you hold if you anchor it too much then it can't fly to the next whatever the next parallel the next whatever wherever that energy is moving wherever that that spirit is headed if you anchor it too much with too much wailing and sobbing after a certain a grieving period if you anchor it too much then you're handicapping the spirit and the energy from flying yeah i, I think that's that, i i really do believe that the you know the eastern traditions are are more healthy minded not all of them but perhaps you know especially the japanese it just seems there's a ritual behind it that enables you to address it in a much healthier fashion i think as westerners we're very challenged in this area i don't think that we let go with with grace as much grace and with the ability to realize that we are never alone right i i mean well the tribal people did a good job with it so the, the westerners that were here originally in this land the tribal oh, people yeah. oh, have an incredible oh, approach yeah. incredible oh, approach i think it's our it's our religion it's our it's our it's yeah. forgive I think me that i mean stuck in believing that the well, either you're agnostic and you don't believe there is anything else, and that's got to be a tough, 
I don't know. I think it would be rough to not believe in anything, but you know, whatever people do. And then there's the defining it by somebody else's belief system. I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting though. Cause when my mother died again, I was 27 and, and, and Dree was eight months old. She woke up Dree, my daughter woke up every morning at 4 AM at the exact moment that my mother passed for, wow. for weeks she did. And she would cry and then she would get quiet and I would go in, I would, you know, like, you know, rub her, rub her back and, 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 and she'd go back to sleep. It wasn't a hysterical thing. It was just, and I knew my mother was there. Yeah. I just knew. And the very interesting thing that happened that was very sweet and wonderful is the, the night before she passed, she was in bed and I was visiting the house. I lived just down the street a little bit. And um, she looked at me and she said, you're a really good mom. Uh, so important that's important here and she you know it'd been it was really it was just wonderful but it was like her being there was kind of a a, a, an exclamation point to that to having said that thank god she had the ability to to say that because there's there's sometimes when people don't get to say what they want to say to the people that they love because they might've had a difficult relationship. Those are challenging things too, or it happens out of the blue and I never got to, you know, fill in the blank, whatever that emotion was that you never got to share. So death is very interesting. It's an interesting thing. And, and so many, so many of us uh, are incredibly afraid of it. Yes. Yes. You know, and I think that fear causes us to have an inability to address it when it happens. I think our right. grieving is is stilted by our fear. It's 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 kind of like we we can't fully express how we we feel because we're so afraid of that very thing that just happened. Right. It's, it's true. And we, and then we miss out on the signs of somebody like you, like uh, a yeah. baby waking up every morning at four o'clock at the exact moment your mom passed. I mean, yeah. So, right. I or didn't pay, if I didn't pay attention to that, maybe I never would have noticed, but, and thank God open. I did. Thank God. I yes had the something, something, the wherewithal at that time, because I was very young, you know, like I might not have gotten that message. And I'm so grateful that I did. But my mother was very linked to my belief, my spiritual beliefs and my belief in God, because I really believe that I used to pray, you know, that she would live a lot, you know, because she got sick very when I was very young. And I just, I thought to myself, I'll be heartbroken. And I prayed and prayed and prayed. And I really do I don't know. You know, my love was so great that I thought that my prayers really made a difference in in her sticking around. And I, you know, is that made up? I don't know. Does that know, listen, help I, somebody? You know, there there's no well, like everything you and I say, there is no one answer. And right. there is no right or wrong here because it's your life and it's your experience. It's your life. Yeah. And it's yeah. your experience and that's that's your truth so i wanted to share with you that that this this book loving the dead and gone by judith turner yamamoto can be found where books can be found but it's there's something um 
an author, another author wrote on here that I think is worth uh, noting. Loving the Dead and Gone is a rich and skillfully rendered portrait of a place that explores the generational effects of love and loss and the fragile connections within a family. Judith Turner Yamamoto gives us a complex and memorable cast of characters in a vivid setting filled with stunning detail. She really does go deep into it. It's a great book. If you've experienced any pain in your life because of death, or even if you say, well, I was a little kid and my dad died, but my mom never got over it. Yeah. As a result, this is how she parented me. This is this is a book for anybody. It's a great, beautifully written book. I'd like to encourage it because I think it's so it's it starts a conversation. It starts the conversation. Well, I think that I'm going to have to put this lovely book on the Mariel Hemingway Book Club. Absolutely. Um, and I and and we also you have another book on there that we just recently covered on. Uh, what we remember, I believe, by Marianne yeah. Doherty about yeah. friendship. And so yeah. this this is all powerful stuff. This is all powerful stuff. And everything, every book that you and I talk about, you and I are both such lovers of books. It's the conversation that begins and the thinking that ensues. This is why books are so lovely. That's it. And it's true. And it's like art. Because what you will think about it might will be different than what I yes. it's a, it's it's about perception. I mean, it, it it reminds me of when my grandfather and people used to say, well, you know, is this like representative of your life? And what did you mean by this? And he was like, I was writing about a man and a fish, you know, catching it. So I'm sure there was many deeper thoughts going on in his <laughs> mind. But at the same time, why define what he wrote for somebody? Because their experience with it is so uniquely their own. Right. That's exactly That's right. Do you know? And great. I think great filmmaking, great anything is the same. It's the same thing. But books are really they're just touching points and triggers to your imagination. It's a beautiful. I, it's beautiful. Well and well written books. Damn. Ain't nothing it. like it. Jim Stones. Don't go any, away, everybody, because you're listening to Outcomes of Sun Radio. We'll be back and maybe we'll have a, a tip, maybe a health tip, maybe a feng shui tip, maybe an energy tip. We don't know. We're just going to play it by ear. <laughs> Hi there. This is John Sonne, best-selling author, futurist, and strategist. And my research is taking us right into the heart of the biggest challenge we are all experiencing. How do we thrive as human beings in the age of AI? Join me in the interviews where I'll be taking you through the tools that we need to be applying to ourselves, our children, and our organizations. You're listening to Outcomes the Sun with Mariel Hemingway and Melissa Yamaguchi. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Outcomes the Sun Radio with my co-host, Melissa Yamaguchi, and myself, Mariel Hemingway. Um, you know, I feel as though we've talked about some very, it kind of really profound things today. You know, the, the accepting your body the way that it is. Like, I, these are all big issues, right? I thank God I've gotten through that in my life because it was a very challenging thing when I was was younger. You know, like I was, it, it was very hard for me to accept myself as I was, because I thought I could always be different and better and this and that. Um, and, and I want to share with everyone and I want to share with everyone that actually how I live my life in the everyday 
is mm-hmm. has been my profound teacher. And when I talk about that, and we've talked about this before, but it really is these seven doctors, the Dr. Sun, Dr. Air, Dr. Water, Dr. Exercise, Dr. Nutrition, Dr. Earth, Dr. Rest. Um, did I miss one? Dr. Earth, Dr. Rest, Dr. Doctor, Doctor, my eyes. <laughs> doctor, anyway, whatever. All those doctors, the the nature doctors, they've been a powerful healer for me, and that it's been an important guide because what that did for me is it enabled me to understand that I had to come to grips with me right? And I was my best teacher, doctor, friend, nutritionist, mm-hmm. trainer. Now, that being said, it doesn't mean that you don't need help, right? We do need help. Sometimes we need to go to people that are going to train us. We do need to get a nutritionist to put us on the right path of eating correctly. Sometimes we do need uh, to talk through our issues. Sometimes we, whatever it is, right? Yeah. But if you can highlight those things by doing these natural things like stepping on the earth with your bare feet yeah for 10 to 20 minutes every day by drinking good water by having mindfulness mindfulness practices in the morning by spending a few minutes to 20 minutes meditating every day or praying whatever makes your soul sing but doing these simple rituals that that's what pulled me out of being obsessive obsessive judgmental because i was a i gave myself enough time to be able to step away from myself and hear this voice that wasn't me right well, and this voice that wasn't me was this voice that was saying oh you're not you know like you're you're fa-. like i i can't i look back at pictures when i thought i was fat it was ridiculous, ridiculous and sad, but I don't judge anybody for it because my perception was lost in, in thoughts that weren't true. Right. And right. so my lifestyle enabled me to pull away and I didn't mean to interrupt you, but no, no, I just, no, I, you, you didn't interrupt me. I, I was going to, I think I may have jumped in on you. What it made me think of is in, in feng shui, there are five elements fire, earth, metal, water, and wood. And so when you are locked into your head with thoughts that just keep rolling back and forth and rolling, in my world, that's too much water. And what stops what stops water flow is earth. Oh, you build a dam. And so you reconnected to earth to yeah. stop the water flow because the water, the thoughts were weakening you, a soggy ground, causing your roots to uplift, you weren't sturdy. So in my world, that makes sense. I I have someone in my life who is very metal, is very organized, thinks very um, logically. Yes. Analytically. And what allows this person to relax is playing music because what bends metal when we're, when we're hammering it and welding is fire and fire is the arts and it's creativity and it's passion. So when this mm-hmm. person brings in the music, it allows them to calm down and to soften the metal and make it more pliable like Reynolds wrap rather than that steel, right? So you seeking earth makes perfect sense to me. You were lost in your thoughts. So it depends on how is this person 
handling stressors of life? Are they right. locked in their thoughts and they're thinking, well, one, two, three, A, B, C, this didn't work, then hey, dance, music, painting, getting your hands in pottery, this is a great yeah. way to break that up. For you, I, I have known you long enough now that I know that when you when you are lost in thought and you go hiking and you your bare feet touch the earth, you've created that dam of thoughts and you get lost because you're watching where your foot's, you can't take risk when you're up there hiking. You can't be, yeah. you can't ignore where your feet are landing. You have to literally be in tune and get your feet on the ground. And that yeah. is, that's a euphemism we use all the time. Get your feet on the ground and pay attention to what's happening. You literally have to, and you've put yourself in that position to do it. It's, it's yeah. amazing. It is. It's, it's powerful. And, and it's so, it's so doable. Yes. This is not hard stuff. It really isn't. Yeah. It might take a little bit of your you know, discipline. You might have to say, okay, I'm going to just create this as a habit. It might initially feel a little challenging, but then it's not. No, you know, it's, a, it, it's, it's uncomfortable. Really New stuff is uncomfortable. Sometimes we feel goofy doing something for the first time. I remember when you were telling right. me about taking our shoes off and I had my dad do it. And I told you a story before. My dad got put his bare feet on the ground and began laughing hysterically. He said, this feels so decadent. And I said, well, Dad, and I was thinking you, your bare toes are on the grass. What is the big deal about this? But it, oh really, it got him out of his comfort zone because he was so yeah. used to putting on the shoes. And yeah. so, it, you know, we have to get out of our comfort zone in order to heal sometimes, a lot of times, most of the time. Well, well I think we do. I think sometimes you have to challenge yourself to look at things that might be uncomfortable for a minute. And my only advice to anybody who's kind of try, trying to look at past stories, trauma, whatever it is, is remember that when you look at a memory, it's just a memory that can't hurt you. Like memories are, yes, they can re-injure you if you see them as happening now, but they're not happening now. Right. They are, there, it is film on the floor and it's important to know what happened so that you can just see it as something that happened right? Not see it as something that's happening. So it's important, but you know, that comes from, I am not a therapist. I'm not a doctor. Well, that's just you know, my understanding of how I've had to look at my past and come to grips with it. Well, also there's, you know, we know the power of feelings and we yeah. know that when you attach a feeling to a thought, it expands it. So when yeah. you, when you have a thought that causes you any, uh, or a, a thought about a story, or your right. past. If you don't allow yourself to, to get wrapped up in the feeling of it, then the thought will dissipate and just remain a story. It, yeah. As long as you're not allowing the feeling to, to get attached to it years later. Like, oh, I remember when I, you know, yeah. was looked over for this or my wife left me for that. And when as you if you keep telling the story and then feeling it each time, you keep it alive. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And just having an awareness of that is, is huge. It's huge. Right. Just knowing, oh, I do that. That means that's get, the moment you realize that you do something is the moment you have a choice to not do it. Oh, right. I love, I love that. Right. You have the choice. All of a sudden it becomes, oh, gosh, I've got a choice now. Yeah. Love that. Right. It's huge. It's well, they, they can always come here and check in with us because, you know, they're not alone. We're here. Oh, gosh. We, we are so here because you are not alone. 
I knew you'd sing. <laughs> oh my gosh. What a good show. I loved what we had to talk about. What an amazing, um, I don't know. I like when we get to kind of dig deep into our own stuff a little yep. bit so that we can share again, you know, the Mariel HemingwayFoundation.org is part of the reason why we do this here so that people can realize that they're not alone and that at some point, with your help, everyone who's listening, if you go to the MarielHemingwayFoundation.org and you donate, you will help us to create a resource navigator, which means we will help people find solutions to whatever their problems are on mental in mental health. We are not there yet, but with your health, we will get there slow with the little train that could, but we're going to make this happen because we have big dreams and we've got a big announcement soon. We can't tell you what it is yet, but we have a very, very big announcement. So, so exciting. It's so, (laughs) so exciting. Oh, yes, 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 yes. And we're not coming out with an album. I promise you that. Hey, (laughs) (laughs) thank you everyone for listening. We love you. We're here. Melissa Yamaguchi, my beautiful co-host, myself, Marielle Hemingway, you know, come back. 